I'd like for you to open your uh, Bibles, if you have one, I hope you do. I want you to open it up to Luke chapter 7. If you were here two weeks ago, um, we talked about contentment. That uh, today, as uh, two weeks ago, that particular day, there's no better day for contentment than, than now. And uh, if we're not content today, when will we be content? As I said, when the power comes back on, when the roads are paved, when there's water, when all of these things. No, there's, there's no potentially no better day than, than today. And uh, so I've had my PowerPoint for two weeks. I had some pictures. I had some things that I'm going to show. I had a picture of contentment up there, a, a mother with a little baby. Um, but I, my first point today that I have is actually from Luke chapter 7. But I'm going to start first with, with a story. True story. There's a little boy. Uh, well, he's 10 years old. He was. And he lost his arm in an automobile accident. But he had a passion and desire to uh, learn judo. And so his mom and his dad encouraged him, son, if you want to learn judo, we'll try to find you someone. So they found this old Japanese instructor who was uh, well-schooled in, in judo. And uh, so he became the teacher. And uh, so he began judo classes in one month, two months, three months, four months, six months. And uh, the old Japanese instructor had only taught him one move. And he said to uh, the young boy, he says, uh, son, it's time for you to enter your first tournament. And he said, I only know one move. He says, it's okay, be, be, be fine. So he went to this tournament. And uh, there were four rounds in it, and, and uh, lo and behold, he won his first, and he won his second. The third was a little bit tougher, but the but, uh, opponent made a mistake, and he did this one particular throw, and he won the match. So now he's in the finals, and he's going up against this, uh, this young man that's big and strong and skilled and been doing judo for quite a few, uh, well, at least a few years. And uh, the match started, and uh, the referee there was about going to stop it because he said, this is just a, a mismatch. And the old Japanese instructor said, no, let him go. And so they let him go, and, and they were going along, and all of a sudden, he made a particular wrong move, the other fella, and he used this one move, and he won the match. On the way home, as they're driving in the car, uh, this 10-year-old boy says to his judo instructor, he said, uh, how in the world did I win four rounds with only one move? And the old instructor looked at him, he says, you won for two reasons. Number one. The move that I taught you is the most important move, the most important throw in all of judo. Number two, the only defense against that particular move is for your opponent to grab 
your left arm. <laughs> now we can laugh at that, but this is what I want you to get from the get-go today, if you don't remember anything else. His greatest weakness became his greatest strength. And so it can be in our life, and so we will see in the life of the Apostle Paul. In Luke chapter 7, because I was going to show you a picture of, well, as they would portray it, of a woman at Jesus' feet in Luke chapter 7 with her hair down, wiping them with her hair. And so I'd like for you to look at it. It's a very familiar story. But I want to share a few thoughts with you uh, from it today. Luke chapter 7. Look at verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him, that is Jesus, to dine with him. And Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Different... <coughs> Though didn't sit down like we do in tables and chairs, he reclined. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. By the way, those are the only kind of people that were in the city. <laughs> and when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, you get the picture? Mm -hmm. Jesus is reclining at a, probably a low table, and this woman, who's not invited, comes in, and she's behind him at his feet, and it says here that she began to wet his feet with her tears. Her tears began to fall down on his feet, and then she got down, and she kept wiping them, with the hair of her head. Now she had to have kind of long hair, otherwise it's kind of difficult <laughs> to wipe feet with short hair. And she started kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. It's a picture, my friends, of contentment. And the first thing that I wanted to share with you, if you want to continue to live a contented life, is that you draw near to God. If you remember from two weeks ago, if you were here, I mentioned in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 4, it says, the Lord is near. That means that He is available for you, that He's accessible to you, that he's approachable, that you can come to him. And it was this woman's weakness. It was this woman's weariness, her, her heavy ladenness at some point in time that brought her to Jesus because I think, honestly, this was probably not her first encounter with him. She had already come to him before. I believe she was already forgiven. That's why she, she barged in this Pharisee's house, and, and here she is. You can, you can get this, this picture of her. 
It was love, I think, for the Savior that brought her into his presence. It was gratitude for sin forgiven that made her weep at his feet. And it was worship of him that led her to anoint and to kiss him. Are you grateful for the forgiveness that he offers to you and to me? You have uh, gratitude, thankfulness in your heart because of all that he's done. That you can come to him like this woman did. And then the guy says, Simon, ah, look at verse 39. If he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she's a sinner. And Jesus said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, say it, teacher. And he tells a money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. When they were unable to repay, verse 42, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And then turning to the woman, he said, do you see this woman? Obviously, he didn't see her as Jesus saw her. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears. She's wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. I think it was just an affirmation again. Your faith has made you... Well, a picture of contentment. You ought to hang out at the feet of Jesus. Like this woman, like Mary in Luke chapter 10, she, had a, she made a choice. She'd chosen the best part to be at the feet of Jesus listening to his word. I've taken out 50 uh, teams over the years to, well, I've traveled in 50 countries, haven't taken a team to every one of those, whether it's basketball or others. But I used to teach introduction to missions at the Christian university that I was at. And if I only had one thing to say to students, I would say this. If you want to go into missions, you want to go overseas, you, 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 you want to do that, this is what you do when you get there. You sit at the feet of Jesus and you tell whatever country you're in, the people there, what you see in him. Friends, that's the Christian life. You sit at the feet of Jesus, you open up the scriptures each day and you behold him as in a mirror and then you tell people what you see in Jesus. I believe this woman went out and she told people what she saw, what she felt, what she heard. This affirmation. Woman, your sins 
are forgiven. I had 30 years of living for Glenn. I have things that I'm terribly ashamed of. But you know what? It's in the, it's in the rear view mirror. And you have to let it remain dead. Don't dig it up again. Because he won't dig it up. So we draw near to God. It's not a one-time deal. We draw near time after time after time to him. Now turn to Philippians chapter 4, if you would. So draw near to God each and every day of your life if you want to live a life of contentment. For Paul, for to him to live was his relationship with Christ and to die was gain. You couldn't defeat the fellow. As we looked at in chapter 4, verse 10, Paul said, I have, I've learned, it's a process of how to be content in whatever situation I find myself. Basically, he says, I know how to live in prosperity. I know how to live with plenty. I know how to do without. I have learned the secret. The secret of contentment. And two weeks ago, I shared from Paul, as we were singing the last couple of songs, it was absolute surrender and being satisfied with Christ. That was his secret. That was the, the jewel of contentment uh, for him. So Paul says here in, in uh, the 13th verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You draw near to God. Secondly, we should embrace our weakness. The young man's greatest weakness became his greatest strength. Listen what the apostle says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness. Now the reason he said this is because he had prayed three times. He had some thorn that was in his flesh. Something that kept him humble. He prayed three times. The tense of the verb tends to show that he, he did it more than that. Many, many times. God, take this away from me. And God says, no, I'm not going to do it. He says, I'll boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness. Most of us are not content with weakness. We want to be strong. We take that first part of the verse. I can do all things. I can do it. I can push through. I can't. I can. No, I can't. I, you can. And we go back and forth. I am content with weakness. I'm content with insults. I'm content with distresses. I'm content with persecution. I'm content with difficulties. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You will not hear that at leadership conferences. You will not hear it if certain people preach a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Paul says, no, 
I'm well content. Godliness with contentment is a means of great gain. Our weaknesses. You come to him in your weaknesses. He invites us to come in our weaknesses. If you're weary and heavy laden today or any day, then you come to him. And he'll give you rest. And then you have to, though, get in the yoke with him. And then you learn from him. And you will find that he's gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. Dr. Mitchell, who I had at uh, seminary, used to say, if you're weary and heavy laden, you come to him, he'll give you rest. That's the rest of forgiveness of your sins. That's great. But that's just the beginning of your journey with the Savior. You've got to get in the yoke. And you have to learn. You have to submit. You need to surrender to Him. And you'll find out what He's like. And it's the only place in the entire New Testament that I know of, or in the Gospels, that Jesus says anything about His inner man. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your soul. I'm not harsh. I'm not cruel. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not up there waiting for you to make a wrong move so, so I can hammer you. See, some of us got this picture in our mind. Maybe we were treated that way by our dad or by some other older authority figures and so forth uh, in, in our lives. That's a skewed, distorted picture of who God is. And God is trying to form within our minds uh, a, a picture. I just did, uh, <clears throat> the last three days, we had a conference at Habitation of Hope for 70 young people that have all come out of our 30-some churches that work with all of our Hands of Hope projects. And, and uh, the focus was on the real God. See, there's a lot of unreal gods in this world. What is the real God really like? And if I had my, my uh, slide <laughs> up here, I would, I would uh, put up some different things. For example, here's a, here are our sessions. God's goodness. God's holiness. God's power. God's justice, God's faithfulness, God's sovereignty, God's love, God's wisdom. See, we, we sometimes have just a little picture of God, but when you study the scriptures, we need to have a bigger picture. Our God is too small. J.B. Phillips has written a book, Your God is Too Small. How about your God? Is he good? Is he just? Is he kind? How does he work in your life and in my life? I have, um, <laughs> I actually have it in a, actually have it in a bookmark that we're going to give our, our kids. I preached a sermon not too, too long ago, and uh, one of the, the people in our congregation, I just rattled off some things at the end of the service, and she says, Glenn, would you send me what you just rattled off? Because it all had to do with the character of God. And so she put it in a little bookmark uh, like this. 
And she put at the top, why? Because we ask questions. Why me? Why now? Why this? And here are different things. Because God is good, nothing will ever be wasted in my experience. He doesn't waste things. Because God is faithful, I have strength to endure any temptation that comes my way. No temptation has overtaken Craig, but such as is common to Glenn. But God is faithful. He will not let Glenn or Craig be tempted beyond what we are able. It may seem that way, but with the temptation, he'll provide a way of escape that we can endure it. The temptations do not go away, but he provides what we need so that we don't give in. He's faithful to help us. Number three, because God is just, listen to this. I don't have to settle any scores. When somebody does you in, look, I've been done in. I've probably done a few people in myself. This, the last year, I've had the hardest thing that's happened to me in 40 plus years of ministry. I've had lies told about me and about other things that are completely untrue. Um, what do you do? Well, you forgive. Vengeance is God's. He will repay. repay. Do not repay evil for evil, but evil with good. with good. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. Leave it to him. So when people say things, do things, and so forth that maybe damage your reputation or damage things that you've been involved in and you can't do anything about it, you can't prove it, it's difficult. If you're in America these days or if you watch some of our news, politicians, movie producers, athletes, and so forth are all, many of them are being accused of things that have happened in the past with inappropriate behavior. And it goes, whether it's true or untrue, it goes out on Twitter, on Instagram, in Facebook, in the newspapers, on the news channels, and so on. You can't defend yourself and do anything. So you have to be on your guard all the time. I do. You do. Temptations that we have. I never meet with a woman alone. I never take a woman out for a cup of coffee. I never get in a car with a woman alone or a young girl. Because these days, they accuse you of things. And the enemy wants to, wants to destroy. And so we always need to be on our guard, things that are happening. Because God is just, because God is forgiving, I can forget what lies behind. He doesn't bring those things up to you. Leave it there. Press forward to what lies ahead. Because God is faithful, I have hope for the future. Because God is love, He will not leave you alone in your pain. The camp, there's a little 16-year-old girl 
that's taking a sewing class now. She she comes from a Bingawangi area. She could she didn't pass her O's or pass her A's. Her mom and her dad uh, died. She's on anti-virals uh, right now because she was she was born and so forth with it. Another little girl that we had. She was she was a was was raped. He will not leave you alone in your pain, but it's painful, the things we go through. Because God is patient, I am assured that he will never give up on me. You give up on yourself, people can give up on you, God will never give up on you. I coached basketball for 30 years. I don't believe I ever gave up on my my players. Players need encouragement. They live with it. They, they die slowly without it. Yeah, sometimes I need to kick them, but they need encouragement. Because life is hard. It's tough. And so you come alongside and you, you put your arm around them. And he'll put his arm around you. In the midst of your weakness, in the midst of your, your pain. I had, you can't see this, but I, I had a little pictures. That it's like a jigsaw puzzle. Because the 14th verse says this. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. That when you get in the yoke with Jesus, and he leads you and guides you. He's going to take you down the same kind of a path oftentimes that he went through. A, a path of suffering. A path of pain. That's what Paul went through. And God uses these things in our lives for, for various reasons. We don't understand the, the puzzle. But he puts all these things together. And I had... Uh, four thoughts. One of the reasons you go through difficulties and trials and pains is because God is going to inspect your heart, inspect your faith. So you do not need to be surprised at the fire ordeals that come ar around for your testing as though something strange is happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, rejoice. He inspects us. He uses trials and tribulations to humble us. To keep us weak, lest we become strong and prideful. So Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 1, he said, We had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would no longer trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You see, Glenn's greatest problem is Glenn. It's trusting in Glenn. I always wanted to be, I played two sports at university, four in high school, but I always wanted to take the last shot. I always wanted to be the last, you know, the hitter up there and so forth. That's why it was so hard for me to come to Christ. Because you don't win by giving up, and you don't win in a Christian life without giving up. You have to surrender. 
You have to come just as you are. You have to admit your weakness. Oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I can say along with the Apostle Paul, this, this man, I'm public sinner number one. And how God has used me in different countries that I've traveled in and so forth. Look, I'm, I'm average. Barely. <laughs> but you see, there, there are not many wise after the flesh. There's not many noble. There's not many mighty. And God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and uses the weak things of the world so that we cannot glory at all, so that we do not take any credit. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Then I'm strong. When we're weak, then I'm strong. You see, we sometimes think that weakness equals lack of power. Or we say weakness does not equal lack of power. But listen to this. Weakness is an opportunity to experience God's power and God's grace. It's an opportunity. When the MRI report isn't too good, it's an opportunity. Gail can give testimony of God's grace and God's power through the cancer and so forth that she's gone through. I could give you hundred stories of people at our church or ones that I've known over the years that God is faithful in the midst of it. That he'll provide for you. That he'll give you the strength to endure. What if your weakness, whatever it might be, is the vehicle through which God has always wanted to reveal his power? What if? What if the path to true power isn't trying to be more powerful, but giving up the attempt to be powerful at all? What if the very way that God works in our lives and the lives of his servants in biblical history is the same way he wants to work in your life and in my life? So in Hebrews chapter 11, you will be going along in that chapter and then you'll find one place, it's, it'll say this, from weakness they were made strong. And God throughout the entire Old Testament was trying to show people his strength and their weakness. Gideon, you got too many darn men. <laughs> and he gets them down to 300. Joseph's got a big dream. His brothers and sisters, mother and father, are all going to come down and bow down before him. The next place he finds himself is in a pit. And then for a commitment to moral purity, he finds himself in prison. And he's forgotten there. It was 17 or 20 years later that he's, the dream comes through. 
But you see, he had to learn some things. And he did in the pit and in the prison. Acts chapter 7 says that Moses was a man mighty in word and deed. After 40 years, he said he couldn't even speak. (laughs) So God had to take him and put him on the backside of a desert with sheep to begin to learn humility. Because God was preparing him to lead a million to three million Jewish people out of slavery into the promised land. And it wasn't going to be an easy journey. It was going to take 40 years that he trained him up to do that. You come to Deuteronomy chapter, I think it's 8, and he says, Yahweh, you humbled us so that we would not trust in ourselves. And he does the same for you and me. He'll show you your weakness. You're not that great. You're not that powerful. But he is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One version says, I'm self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Not your sufficiency. His. So we don't go around parading how great we are. No, we're not. We can can parade about how great God is. We can brag about Him. But not to us. Not to us give glory. But to God. I, uh, I tear things out sometimes and I paste them and put them in my Bible, my old Bible. Like, like this. This, was, this is one of my, my pages in my old Bible. I don't know if this is the front or the back kind of cover or, or whatever. But I have, I have two things that I'm going to read to you as I close. This is the first one. On contentment. Remember, you, you draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. You embrace your weakness. You, 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 you come to him. That's how he works in your life so that you do come. God, I need help. Help me. A woman by the name of Helen Malicote wrote this. God brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this straight place. In that fact, I will rest He will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Then he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends for me to learn. For in his good time, he will bring me out again. How and when he knows. So let me say, I am here by God's appointment, in His keeping, under His training, for His time. Whatever you obstacles, issues, things that you're facing, God is not oblivious 
to them. He knows them all. And He will keep you. And He will train you up. How He does it is up to Him. But He's a good Father. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need, David says. Yahweh is my personal shepherd. Here's the other one that I have. I was regretting the past, fearing the future. Been there? Regretted anything back there? Fearing anything out here? Suddenly my Lord was speaking. My name is I Am. He paused. I waited. He continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it is hard for me. I am not there. My name is not I was. <laughs> when you live in the future with its problems and fears, it is hard for me. I am not there. My name is not I will be. But when you live in the moment, trusting, it is not hard. I am here. My name is I am. And that's why they took up stones to kill Jesus. You, being a God, a man, make yourself out to be God, for he said, before Abraham was, I am. He was the God of Exodus chapter 3. Who shall I say to Pharaoh, and who shall I say to God's people has sent me? You tell them, I am has sent He will be to you whatever you need. He's the living water. He's the bread that comes down on heaven and gives life to the world. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the vine. He is whatever you need. And He can satisfy you. He really can. If you come, if you draw near, if you pour out your heart, if you admit your weaknesses to him, he'll strengthen you. He'll meet you where you're at. Let's pray with our eyes open. What's your greatest weakness? You have some strength that, that keeps you from talking to God about your weaknesses? Most of us men, we, we like to cover up. We don't like to admit we're weak. We're men. 
But you come just as you are to him. Without one plea. That his blood was shed for you and me. And Father, we, we can come, all of us here today. None of us are more privileged than any other. We can come into your very presence. We can have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which you inaugurated for us through your flesh. And we can find grace and mercy in our time of need. Lord, some of our hearts here today, they're, they're hurting. Maybe they're rejoicing. Maybe they're broken. Maybe they're shattered because of dreams that haven't come to fruition. Things haven't turned out as we thought. But help us to just be honest with you. Like we talked about two weeks ago on the coin, prayer of Jesus. Not my will. Yours be done. That you would work through us weak vessels here today. So that in our lives, you can show your mighty power, your mighty strength. That you can transform us from the inside out. So inspect us. Humble us. Transform us. Keep us by your grace. For we ask it not for ourselves, but for Jesus' sake. Amen.